If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome, everyone, to Positively Trek. I, I need to come up with a tagline. Like, you know, your podcast for... Da, 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 da. I don't know. We need we need a tagline there. But uh, I'm Dan Gunther. With me, of course, is Barry DeFord. And we're here to talk Trek. We are. With all of our wonderful, positive listeners. <laughs> that's that's not it. I'm working on it. Yeah, yeah. The, that, you know what? I'm going to give you an F for effort on that one, Dan. Yeah, that was bad. Uh, I appreciate the try. <laughs> and uh, you know what? There's always episode 236. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll work on that yeah. definitely. How you been? I'm I've been good. I've well as good as can be expected. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if if our listeners that aren't from where we are, uh, if if it's making international news, the uh, the fact that our province is burning up at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. This is it, lots of smoke in the area and actual fire very close to where we live so yes yes uh you're much closer to that actual fire yeah. my good man um uh, like i would say the evacuation zone is about a five minute drive south of where you are if that mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. yeah so all we need is a few more heavy wind warm that wind coming oh. up from the southeast is warm too yeah so it's drying everything out we've uh most of the northwestern portion of Alberta, uh, including the two larger national parks, uh, Banff and Jasper, I don't know about Waterton, um, but uh, pretty much we've got we're we're seeing fire pretty much all spreading, obviously north and to the west if the wind is coming from the south and east. And there are some areas around a, a, a town called Edson mm -hmm. where the damage zone is over the size of the city of Edmonton and Calgary combined. Um, so, you know, if, if there are people, um, who are able to, I mean, I know that there's a lot of people who are going to be in need. I've been talking a lot to people I know, and it's, it's time for us to step up and be good neighbors and make sure that we're looking after people, uh, Absolutely. For sure, going forward. Uh, a friend of mine, I, just as a total aside, um, as all, as with every situation like this, it really is a tale of two different aspects of society and, uh, police in recent days have had to tell people to stop firing fireworks and to stop flying drones where the fires are because it grounds the helicopters. Yeah. Now, people in the area have also opened their homes to people, to animals, to livestock, to all sorts of uh, aid, you know, bringing water and food to people who've been evacuated. It truly is a tale of two Albertas. And, yeah. uh, as with everything, as you know, look to the people who are trying to help and people only think of either how their actions affect themselves or how they affect others. And it's the people mm -hmm. who think of how their effect, their actions affect others. They're the ones that we need to look to in this and to emulate and to, and to try and, and, uh, live up to their example for sure. And, and talking about that, I, obviously, you and I, you, you and I tend to be a little mum about our profession, but a, a young person I work with told me that, uh, 
he and uh, a few of the, the, the fellows in his family all hopped in their respective vehicles with horse trailers and water trucks and just drove to places that they knew were going to be affected that were still in areas that a civilian could go mm. rather than just firefighters and uh, did a lot of help um, just for the hell of it, um, just because they knew that people needed it. And uh if yeah, I mean, I don't. I doubt that kiddo listens to anything Star Trek. He's <laughs> into into trucks and farming. Um, but uh, but you know, a mad shutout. And you're right. There are two types of Alberta um, coming coming into force here. And I'm really excited to see the community I'm a part of step up and really rise to that occasion and help people out. I think we're already thinking about doing some stuff this weekend. Excellent. Um, yeah. And then the following weekend, and and just keeping that going, making sure that uh, our neighbors know we care. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, that links back to this show that we know and love. What happens when a Starfleet ship receives a distress call? It answers it, yeah. right? Absolutely. Under under all circumstances, Starfleet does not leave anyone behind. And, you know, obviously the needs of the many always outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And so for all you drone folk or people who are trying to ride your ATV or, you know, just absently flicking a cigarette out your window... um, Smarten up. Yeah. Because <laughs> we really we really need to understand that this isn't about us and this is this is the land we all live on. It's it's indigenous land. It needs to be protected. And um we do no favors to it by um being so careless. Here, here. Well, uh as we'll that <laughs> on that, that note. <laughs> note, yeah, the, the this news will continue to play out for sure. And uh uh, you know, we should move on from this, you know horrible thing that's going on to some Star Trek news. Yeah. And we, we do have some this week that we need to talk about. First of all, I'm sure everyone has heard by now about the Writers Guild of America strike happening now. It started at the beginning of May and uh, it has placed basically all of the writers of that guild, the Writers of America, on picket lines. They've gone on strike to try and work out a better deal for their members. And first of all, Going to put this right out there, right at the top. Positively Trek completely 100% stands behind the writers. You go, here, here. you go, you do what you need to do. Fight the good fight. We're with you for sure. Solidarity. Absolutely. So this has had some effect on Star Trek, of course. Uh, there was some speculation when it first happened, what kind of uh, effect it would have. And indeed, it seems that Strange New Worlds season three, which was set to start filming at the beginning of May, uh, has been delayed. Now, the option is always there for productions that already have scripts completed. They could go ahead and film without the writers, but that is a big handicap to a production not having the writers on the set to, you know, do last minute changes and that sort of thing. And it seems as though the production behind Strange New Worlds has decided to halt without having writers on set and kudos to them for making that decision. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and I mean, materially speaking, if we, if we look at how streaming services has fundamentally changed the nature of the way we consume this type of media, um, it does actually make sense to me that we would be seeing a change in the working conditions and potent, potentially the demands for compensation among workers all around. Um, if you think about the restrictions 
things that still exist uh, on a lot of uh, sets around COVID restrictions, mm-hmm. right? Um, a sickness on set can really mess up production time, right? You can't have an understudy for a television show, right? That yeah. doesn't work that way. So I think in a lot of cases, this this should knock on forward and really start to lay out the point here that um, a lot of things have become concerningly unaffordable. And, um, you know, we pay for streaming services ourselves and such. And a lot of people may be like, well, this could lead to, you know, uh, streaming services becoming more expensive and stuff like that. I would argue the negative that, in fact, streaming services has drastically increased the revenues of a lot of companies in its earliest phase. Um I don't want to turn this into a economics lesson, but I think we all know that the rate of profit, uh, even Adam Smith brings this up, not just Karl Marx, um, that, that the rate of profit always skews towards zero. And I think what we're noticing, even what you and I have been talking about, Dan, in terms of some Star Trek projects kind of get put on hold, they kind of get retooled, they get, yeah, 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 sure, we're going to get that going anytime <laughs> now, you know, or they get truncated and changed slightly. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the constant stream of media media um, can get exhausting and you know we can really binge on tv shows i watched all of andor um very very quickly just recently mm-hmm. um and a bit of a a negative shout out there andor though it was a film talking about you know plucky group of individuals fighting against space fascism um they are proceeding with the television show writing it even despite the writer strikes so i saw uh, that yeah jesse gender was uh retwe- retweeting that and uh she made me aware of that a little bop on the nose to them for that mm-hmm. i'm really unhappy about that and that's extremely hypocritical and kind of misses the point yeah. of you know uh workers and exploitation and i mean i'm not to say that that i would necessarily say that writers in hollywood or in other places uh are not gainfully compensated compared to other people who are are making ends meet on minimum wage and whatnot. But I do think that where we demand um, a decent and fair shake for the work we do is something that everyone should be able to have. So I'm not jazzed, I guess you could say, that we have to wait a little longer for Strange New Worlds. Like I'm just, I know the Picard, the Picard echo is starting to fade and I'm looking forward to more. Um, but okay, if it means that we're going to get writing that is done by writers who want to be there and are being fairly compensated for the work they do, I'm happy about that. Yeah. And I mean, this doesn't affect any of the Star Trek coming out in 2023. So we've got scads of Star Trek coming out in the near future. Uh, If this strike goes on very long, and I honestly, I hope it doesn't because I would like to see a a fair and equitable deal reached sooner Mm. rather than later, that could kind of push back some things in 2024. We're not there yet, but... Uh, you know, if this is a fairly short strike, we could see things get back rolling pretty quick and meet kind of deadlines that we've seen. Strange New World Season 2 is certainly, it's in the can, it's ready to come out, it's airing next month. Uh, and then, of course, the two animated shows, Prodigy and Lower Decks, that we're getting this year, they're under a completely different guild. They actually went through all of this negotiation last year, so they're good. They're the uh, the animation guild tag, so... Uh, completely different. I have been seeing a lot of folks from the Star Trek world tweeting and and making otherwise known their position and solidarity with the writers, which is great to see, including members of the Tag Guild standing with the WGA writers. And I especially want to highlight this tweet by Robert Hewitt Wolf, 
a writer on Deep Space Nine, of course, who yeah. tweeted a screen cap of Rom from the DS9 episode Bar Association, quoting workers of the world unite. And I believe, I think it was Tawny Newsome replied, you have nothing to lose, but your chains. So I love it. It's <laughs> so great. <laughs> oh, and, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I really love the fact that, uh, Anthony Rapp is is uh, showing his colors here as well, saying that he stands with the Raiders too. Um, genuine class act of a fellow mm-hmm. and uh, humble brag. I got to hang out with him at Night of Diversity one year. <laughs> it was super cool. It's boring, but it's my life. Whatever you know. Oh man, I'm um, so jealous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's sort of a feather in my cap. But you know, just the fact that that these folks who make our entertainment and you know uh, keep us keep us happy and 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 getting our Star Trek are are. Of, of similar minds here. And yeah, here's to a swift, inefficient um, strike process that leads to a fair and equitable solution. Here, here. Absolutely. Well, speaking of writing of a different sort in this case, however, we have another bit of news coming out. And that is that Patrick Stewart's memoir is arriving in October of this year. And it is called Making It So, a memoir. <laughs> which, I mean... I think I saw this book in one of those uh, memes where it's like, there's no such thing as the perfect memoir type. Oh, there it is. Making it it so perfect. (laughs) Also, I am getting the audio book because I want Sir Pat talking to me. I want him in my earballs. (laughs) Definitely. I can't help but be a doomer sometimes. Hmm. And I remember once... In the early teens, I forget what year now, I was like, oh, cool. David Bowie came out with a new album, Dark Star. Wow. Isn't that neat? And then he died. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't know. Time is the fire in which we burn, right? Um, it, it's it's great to see Sir Pat, you know, having a great memoir of his life. It's definitely something I'm going to pick up. Um, he is a very charming and sweet man who has done a lot to help shape um, the type of man I want to be mm-hmm. uh, by his portrayal, especially of uh, Jean-Luc Picard, obviously. Um, so just seeing this, you know, it is kind of like we just had sort of like a aw shucks there. They all are again, probably for the last time. And then, you know, Sir Pat drops a memoir now and it is a little there's a curtain. There's a curtain call sounding mm. and and you know mm-hmm. he is himself uh you know using the term curtain call is intentional here because he's quite the thespian um i have managed to see youtube videos of sir patrick stewart's theater work uh, especially around shakespeare and gotta say um would love to have seen him uh live yeah. in theater doing shakespeare that would have been pretty amazing yeah absolutely i uh yeah i i totally get what you're saying and that and that makes a lot of sense yeah i'm i'm very excited for this i i notice here he's starting work on it so aiming for that october 3rd release date i i wish that i was as sure of my ability to meet deadlines as he seems to be like when I first saw, oh, the memoir is coming out in October. It must be like written and be going through revisions. Oh no, he's beginning work on it. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, he has more faith in himself than I do in myself for making deadlines for sure. But, uh, October 3rd, that's just two days late for my birthday gift, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, you should, you should ring him up. If you want my humble opinion, my assumption is, is he probably has like kept diaries or something. Mm, yeah. Um, 
and and he, I'm you know or, or something along those lines because yeah that is a pretty tight turnaround to be like my life also it doesn't it say like the the article we're looking at isn't it already like numbered in terms of its page oh yeah a 432 page hardcover tome okay so some something's, something's gotta yeah. be there's gotta be at least like a manuscript or something for sure oh um, no I, I i just can't read it says three years ago he announced he was beginning work on his memoir Never mind. There we are. Reading comprehension. That's a that's a skill. You know what? I could have picked that up too, but uh, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> Anyways, lo- we'll leave that in. That sounds like fun. Yeah. I am I am definitely going to be um, picking this up, and like I said, I'm going to get the the audio book because I would love to hear Sir Pat uh, talk in my ear. That's excellent. I I feel like we need to do a book club episode about that for sure. Mm, that's a really good idea. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I, I, I will also definitely be picking this up. Not sure written word or audio book, but maybe I'll have to do the written word just to, just to see how our experiences differ there. Well, our final little bit of news is, uh, the long awaited Star Trek resurgence video game is due to be released on May 23rd. And in anticipation of that release, we've got a whole bunch of new screenshots from the game. They're kind of revving up the hype machine to increase sales and stuff. And, uh, you know, I got to say, I was kind of like, oh, I might check this out. The hype machine's kind of working on me. This looks really cool. And I kind of really want to play this. Well, what I like about it is I've been waxing lyrical about that weird app game that I was talking mm-hmm. about where you play the president of some fictional country. Which I need um, to talk to you about because I've played a little bit of it now. Ooh, I'm excited to know how it's going. <laughs> um, that said, I love the fact that you get to sort of choose your own adventure. Yeah. Bit, right? You get to choose between different things. Like you kind of get to kind of create your own personality within, you know, within the confines. But, you know... Um, I don't know, is, is this going to be connected to STO at all? Cause like the ship renders are really nice and I, but I don't know. Yeah. As far as I know, it's completely separate from Star Trek online. Uh, it's its own kind of thing. The other thing with it as well, speaking of connections though, is there is a, I forget how many issues, but there's a prequel comic that's been being released, uh, prior to it. I ha- I have them, but I have not read them yet. So that might be something that we'd have to do before May 23rd, I think. <laughs> I would say so. Uh, but yeah, this, uh, like I would, I would just say that like me finding time or making time to do anything, I feel like I should like, if I was to get this game, I'd probably like try to take a week off. Yes. <laughs> and just hit this. Like even like, so it looks like a centaur class starship. Mm-hmm. Yep. Centers around a centers around a centaur class starship yes that was unintentional <laughs> yeah was it is i wonder because um, i remember that episode the random dominion episode that i'm not remembering exactly because to be honest with you the entire dominion arc just is one big blob of information that i have in my head because i just binge it when i'm feeling weird season six um, episode one a time to stand Holy crap. When he sees the centaur class and he's like, oh, that's my buddy. And then it like blows up or something. I can't remember exactly. That's Captain Riddle's ship. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, he gets away. They don't, they don't blow him up. Oh, but... oh he gets away. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> I was wondering if there's any connection here. I have to say, um, I really have a problem with the two seat at the, at the front bridge design that the center class has like the captain is in sort of like a, I'm sitting to the right of another person. And I don't know it. 
I like the captain's chair to be in the middle, and this is like me really nitpicking. Um, but when I nitpick, it actually means I like it. Yeah, I always hated that about Voyager too. That was like, yeah, ne- and in at least in this case, the captain gets a little bit fancier chair. It always kind of bugged me that Janeway and Chakotay's chair were exactly the same. You know, and and I mean, it's good to have you know just the same chair for whatever. But yeah, no, I agree with you. The bridge design though is nice. I I love I uh, the, there's some. I've been back on social media, kind of. Some of you may have seen me. Uh, I finally posted something on the uh, Positively Trek group, so (laughs) I'm going to try to make a point of that more. But um, it was nice to see you all, too. Wonderful. Um, But uh, there's this uh, Twitter Twitter account that does, like, Star Trek liminal spaces where they, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have been binging that. And, like, for me, imagining myself on a starship is what I love to do. And so looking at these pictures of Star Trek Resurgence has really gotten me like jazzed about that of just like seeing myself on the bridge. So yeah, now that we've talked about this, I've talked myself into this. I'm going to play this game. <laughs> Excellent. I I mean, just from a purely aesthetic point of view, that first shot of that bridge, that blue just looks so good. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. And for all the purists out there, it appears to be carpeted. So there you go. Right. It's got to be. It's, it's got to be. It's got to be period, uh, period proper, because this takes place kind of just sort of around the Nemesis era, I'm imagining. Yeah, it looks like the uniforms are, are like that Nemesis era. So, mm-hmm. yeah, somewhere in there. Cool. <laughs> but yeah, so it's going to be uh, released on PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4 xbox series x slash s and xbox one i've been so out of the gaming world lately i don't even know what that means uh and uh for pc which (laughs) would seem to be the way that i will have to play it because i don't have any of those (laughs) no i don't have a well actually i do know someone with an xbox but uh Hmm. that might be that might be asking a lot (laughs) can i borrow your xbox to play a star trek game you can't keep the game it's mine (laughs) Awesome. Well, yeah, like I said, May 23rd. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how soon after that we're going to get to play that, but that'll be a summer play. I think so for sure. Rainy day summer play. (laughs) Well, with all of that news out of the way, let's talk Star Trek Resurrections. Who did we like resurrected? Who don't we like resurrected? We'll talk all about that right after this break. Thank you so much for downloading this episode of Positively Trek. We truly do appreciate each and every one of our listeners, and I'd like to especially thank our Patreon supporters. Thank you to our Constitution Class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, and Paul D. Kinnear. If you'd like to become a supporter of Positively Trek and join our crew, please go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, ad-free episodes, and more. Again, that's patreon.com slash positively trek. Thank you all and live long and prosper. So I was at the Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expo a couple weeks ago, and one of the guests was Todd Stashwick, who of course played Captain Liam Shaw in season three of Star Trek Picard. And a lot of the audience questions had to do with things like, uh, you know, what was it like to work with the legacy cast, blah, blah, blah. But there was also a lot of people asking like, is Star Trek legacy happening? Will we see Shaw somehow? And his answer to that was, he doesn't know if it's happening. He hopes it will. And my favorite answer 
it's not like I'm Law and Order dead. I'm Star Trek dead. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and you are absolutely right that um, Star Trek really does kill and bring characters back like like Marvel or DC, uh, Mm -hmm. I would say, in a lot of ways. But part of me doesn't really ever have has never really had too much of a problem with that. But there are going to be pieces where I where, yeah, there's some there's some issues here and there. But uh, let's let's get started on it. Uh, what what would you say was like your first experience with a Star Trek character biting the dust? You know, actually, for me, and it's one that I forgot to put on this list, I'm just realizing now, but uh, there, there's different classes of Star Trek resurrections, right? There's the ones where like they kill off a character and then like a few years down the road or, or something, they're like, ah, oh, we got to bring this person back somehow. And then there's the ones that are like contained in a single episode, right? Like they do the death fake out thing and then bring them back. And for me, TNG season five ethics, where Worf uh, has to get that spinal column replacement surgery and he dies on the table, right? Mm -hmm. And then they bring like Alexander in And all of a sudden everything starts beeping and they realize, oh, it's all his redundant Klingon systems. He's back from, he's, he's alive again. Cool. (laughs) Uh, And I remember like as a kid, season five of TNG was the first TNG that I ever watched. So I was kind of in that position that like, oh, they killed off the Klingon character. Wow. I, huh. I didn't think they'd do that. And then, you know, I was a naive kid too. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then when they bring him back to life. Now, years later, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's a main character, of course. (laughs) But that always kind of, I was like, oh, that was a weird surprise out of left field that he just, they don't even really explain it all that much. They just say, oh, it's all those Klingon redundant systems. They, we overlooked one, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Oopsie. I remember that one and and found when he was like pleading with Riker, I think it was to like take his life. Yeah. I I wonder, I wish they would have maybe brought that to, I don't know there's, there's that. And then seeing their, their interplay with each other in Star Trek Picard made me kind of feel, I I don't know. It was very nice to see Worf and Riker bantering yet again and and whatnot. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, the, those sort of contained episodes where someone sort of dies in the episode and is back by the end of it, you know, is that kind of magic Simpsons etch a sketch where everything goes back to normal at the end and everything kind of feels a little bit more low stakes. One thing though, we've never had a person come back from getting vaporized by a, by like a, a, a phaser. That's true. Yeah. 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 Once you've been that, or I don't think any, anyone has technically died or has come back after dying in a transporter accident. So I think there's ways of dying too. Yeah. Um, like for instance, you know, like the anatomy of a Klingon is something that would still be somewhat alien to them. I mean, Kittimer, <clears throat> what would have been like 60 years ago or something like that mm-hmm. by TNG. So like that does kind of make sense. Yeah. Maybe less than that, actually. No, because Worf was there, and he's like a 30-year-old Klingon man, I would assume, um, because his parents aren't terribly old. So never mind. So yeah, for them to not know something like that, it definitely checks. I would say my first experience of watching a character die was Tasha Yar, Mm. and that was really jarring. I remember being like, what the crap? This show is intense. And again, I was a really tiny, naive kid. Um but yeah, like then she just never came back until later. But then, you know, 
you've got her set up as yesterday's enterprise. I was thinking her sort of weird return as Sila mm-hmm. as well, right? Like they realized that that like getting rid of such a good actor might not have been a good idea, though it was like super intense. But this yeah. isn't the first kind of immediate, strange, all of a sudden, sudden shocking death uh, in TOS. You've got Scotty here. Um, <laughs> when was the first time you saw Scotty's death in The Changeling? Yeah, so I, I it would have been early on because I did watch TOS before I, I think I even knew TNG existed. But that was another contained in the episode thing, right? Like, so mm-hmm. you've got, this is the episode, The Changeling, like you said, we've got that nomad probe, right? And mm-hmm. he's, he's, Feature, uh, I mean nomad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he, uh, well, first of all, he erases Uhura's memory. And Scotty lunges at it. What are you doing? You daft wee machine or whatever. And <laughs> lunges at Nomad stupidly. And no- Nomad zaps him, sends him flying over the thing. And we get the act break with Bones standing over Scotty. He's dead, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and the push in on Kirk's face of shock and horror. Uh, you know, a main character has died. Now we go to commercial. And then immediately coming back from commercial, Nomad's like, I can repair him. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Buy these RCA TVs, TV dinners. (laughs) Remember to recycle war for the, or metal for the war effort. Whatever time that was. Um, And yeah, and then all of a sudden he he does come back. And I guess that's the thing is sometimes those like single episode death rebirths really do kind of lower the stakes a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say that, um, the other one, the, the, if we're going in technicalities, I would consider Shaw at this point a yar. I would also consider Culber a bit of a yar too, but he came back as himself. So I don't know if that fully, he's more of a Spock now. Yeah. So yeah, like when I was saying earlier about the different classes of, of <laughs> Are they going to have like death, colored right? uniforms? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The galaxy class Star Trek death and the constitution. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, it feels to me like you get the ones where a character has, or, or sorry, an actor has decided they want to move on. Mm-hmm. So the producers or the writers or whoever is tasked with, with having to dispatch them, you know, kills them off. And, and then a few years later, there's some regret. <laughs> yep. They want to come back. That would be the classic Yar for sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. She felt that her character wasn't getting served properly in the shows. Like she's, she said this on record. She mm-hmm. wasn't getting, you know, some good scenes, some stuff to play with. She was kind of firing torpedoes and, and sailing, hailing frequencies open. Right. She wasn't enjoying that. Maybe, I mean, I'm not going to comment on, on career satisfaction or whatever after that, who knows what, but you know, when they approached her to come back, she was very receptive to it. And, uh, we got her in yesterday's enterprise, which led to, as you said, Sila and all of this kind of whatever excuses they could find to bring Denise Crosby back. And, yeah. and great. Like that was wonderful. I actually, as another aside, I have a weird relationship with the Tashiar character because the first time I saw Denise Crosby in Star Trek was as commander Sila. Oh, <laughs> And then at some point during like one of those marathons of the best episodes of TNG, I met her in yesterday's enterprise and didn't see any first season episodes till like years after that. 
That must have been a very jarring experience. <laughs> it was kind of cool, actually, because I can kind of put myself in the mindset of watching that and imagining what Tasha Yar was like, because every because she comes up every once in a while, too. They mention her in dialogue of, you know, people they've lost in the past. And like, how did you feel, Worf, when you had to take over Tasha Yar's position? And now you've had to take over Data's position because we think he's dead. And yeah. I'm like, oh, man, this this legendary character. I can't wait to meet her. And then honestly, when I finally saw those first season episodes, they didn't disappoint. I was like, I love this character. She's great. I see why everybody misses her. And they, I, I would say they, they did give her kind of a crappy death. Like, yeah, it, it was a lame, like not the best way to go. Um, but like you said, she did find her way back and we're happy that that definitely happened. But I want to ask a little bit about maybe one of the more, um, shocking deaths that you and I just simply weren't either old enough or alive enough to remember. Uh, but I have heard a lot of people say that the end of the wrath of Khan mm. was a real big moment. And it, obviously it was, you know, just after uh, other big moments in, in um, science fiction, right? Luke, I'm your father. Right. And then the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one with Spock. Um, these like huge, like, shocking moments that really had people like talking and like that whole spoiler culture really comes from that. Right. Mm -hmm. Did you, I mean, obviously when you watched wrath of Khan, I'm pretty sure you knew that there was another movie and a number of other movies with Spock in it. Um, did the scene where Spock dies, did that, did that feel as high stakes to you when you watched it? I think by definition, it just kind of didn't feel as mm -hmm. high stakes because like when I watched these movies and I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit here for some of our audience. You know, I, I, I popped in the VHS of Star Trek II: the wrath of Khan and watched it and knew that the next one on the shelf was called Star Trek three, the search for Spock. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say that maybe the stakes didn't feel quite as high, but it was still very moving. I remember at the time, um, because I, I think when I watched them, I was kind of old enough to dissociate from the experience of the audience and kind of mm. put myself in the position of not just the characters, but also the people making the movie and stuff where I kind of thought, well, they didn't know that he'd be coming back. So this was probably huge, you know, so I, I was kind yeah. of able to emulate that feeling a little bit by putting myself in their shoes a little bit. But, yeah. uh, but at the same time I was like, I, I know there's more to come. I, th I think I'd probably seen Star Trek for the voyage home already at, before that, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How about yourself? Well, that's the thing is <clears throat> I, uh, obviously, um, saw it again on probably VHS or something in my, my basement or whatever. Um, and again, I definitely knew that there was going to be, you know, another movie with Spock in it because yeah, the same idea we had the, the VHS set. So I could just pop in the next one when I was done. But, um, I'd ended up kind of going on a bit of a Star Trek kick when I watched it. And I don't think this would have even been the first time I watched Wrath of Khan, but I'd like watched a lot of like A&E special on Star Trek or whatever, right? Like when they would like go behind the scenes and it was the original series stuff, right? Where mm -hmm. they did kind of like a, I forget what production it was. It had commercials and I think we taped it or something. But I remember just like, they really went into how William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy 
um, and DeForest Kelly kind of played a really strong triad with each other and the way they like kind of, you know, philosophically fulfilled very specific roles. And for whatever reason, it hit me really hard when I watched it that way in the sense Mm. that, you know, I was able to put myself in this idea where Spock really was doing the most logical thing. And that was a really cool portrayal. I think Leonard Nimoy was very much in the right headspace to play as, you know, Spock's death. I think he was very interested in exploring what the death of that character would be like. And much like Tasha Yar being like, oopsie, hold on. (laughs) Um, Or Denise Crosby, sorry, being like, whoops, hold on. I think that was very similar for him uh, in that respect. Though I do think he he came back with like a caveat for having like director credit or something mm-hmm. in certain places and whatnot, but uh, business is business. Fair, yeah. So yeah, I, I definitely really liked, like you said, it was really well acted. Um, I didn't like the flip that they did in um, Into Darkness, personally. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you thought. When they, at, at spoiler alert, I don't know what to say. <laughs> um, this is a very old movie now, I guess. Um, but Into Darkness, obviously Kirk, goes through the needs of the many, always the needs of the few, I will sacrifice myself and then magically come back in the same movie. Um, Mm. But yeah, I just felt it was, it was a little too, Hey, remember this? And like, I don't know as much as Zachary Quinto and Chris Pine did a fantastic job um, reimagining both characters. Eh, I don't really can't really say it landed as, as well. Yeah. I will definitely second that. So yeah, James T. Kirk um, dies in the course of, of saving the ship, a la the same way Spock did in Wrath of Khan. And yeah, so the entire framing of that already kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And then if you watch the actual movie, like it's, it's like, what exactly happens? They're like, uh, oh, that Tribble that died came back to life. Oh yeah. I injected it with Khan's blood a while ago. Mm-hmm. Hey, <laughs> Like, Honestly, what? I, yeah, I believed Nomad reviving Scotty easier than I, it just, I, I saw the setup, it, it worked. Um, otherwise, I mean, I mean, again, the Starship stuff in that, in that uh, uh, movie is fantastic. I really love um, a lot of the action in it. I mean, I really do treat the JJ Star Wars or Star, oh, <laughs> oh. Freudian slip. <laughs> he did that too. Um, the JJ Star Trek as his resume for Star Wars in a lot of ways, but also I, I treat them much more like, like a, like a ride, right? Mm. Like it's like getting on a roller coaster ride. Um, it's really fun and I really enjoy it. Um, but I definitely don't go to those ones for like compelling plot lines uh, yeah. and stuff like that. That that's a voyage home. Um, that's Wrath of Khan. Um, that's the latest uh, Picard series. That was mm-hmm. a thinker series, and I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. I, I frequently characterize the Kelvin timeline as, like, when someone asks me my opinion of it, I will say it has a bunch of stuff in it that I like about Star Trek, but it doesn't have the things that I love about Star Trek in them. Yeah. It, it's basically Star Trek with a shot of Ketrasol White right to the neck. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. And, and just you go. skipping over some of the, the really good stuff, I think. That's just my opinion, though. But yeah. Yeah. Into Darkness itself just as a film i have a really hard time revisiting sometimes just because eh, i don't know eh. yeah no. No, I'm, I'm with you on that one 
So yeah, that's that's kind of the going back to Spock for a second though. I, mm-hmm. I just because I I want to talk just a little bit about the movie he actually came back in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. How did you think of how they resurrected him? The the mechanism the for doing that. You know, it worked uh, to me. I I really think it was the search for Spock is actually a very Kirk centric episode of Star Trek. I find, mm-hmm. but at what cost? Your ship, your son. <laughs> you know exactly yeah. so i uh, i mean i think spock coming back they they brought him back in a way that makes sense you know he's growing up really fast and whatever else um he's not fully cognizant and you know he's he's sort of like that like npc character you have to like bring with you on like a mission in a video game right he he just sort of comes back in it right and mm-hmm. and and so i think they do a fine job of it because they don't center that part of it it's very much like i said a kirk centric um um, movie, which allows for Spock's development and, and, you know, rebirth to be a little more believable just because it's not taking center stage. It just occurred to me that Spock is the MacGuffin in Star Trek three, the search for Spock. And I mean, it's right there in the title. Like it's, it's the thing they're looking for that, that propels the plot forward. That's interesting. But what does Kirk really find in the end? (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps the real search for Spock. Is the friends we... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, literally, actually, in that case. Well, yeah, actually. Yeah, Yeah, I think think the the rebirth of of Spock worked well. I mean, yourself, Mm -hmm. are you you of the same mind or or what do you think? I think so, yeah. I I appreciated the fact that, you know, we've regenerated his body and that was Mm -hmm. really the only barrier because all that he was... Was in bones. Soul wise, I guess. Soul in quote marks or, or whatever. Catra. Yeah. Was in was in McCoy, yeah. So Which yeah. I found um I found that to be like good and cheeky writing, right? What what person would hate to have Spock in his brain, <laughs> but but Dr. Leonard McCoy, right? Like get that green goblin out of my head, right? <laughs> he said something like that. There yeah, was no. a uh, a meme that's been floating around and it's pretty old, but I just saw it resurface again the other day and it's just a little bit of dialogue between Sarek and Amanda, Spock's parents. And Sarek says, I checked Kirk, Spock's Katra wasn't in him. And Amanda says, did you check the other boyfriend? <laughs> And Sarek's like, the other? He's like, there's two. You got to check both. (laughs) There's two. You got to check both. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. I really like that. So a resurrection, and and we're kind of jumping all over the place here. Oh, yeah. But a more recent one, Jean-Luc Picard. And there's a certain segment of online fans that had a big problem with Picard's resurrection into this golem android body at the end of season one. But I would put to you and to anyone listening, what are the material differences between what they did with Spock and what they did with Picard? I can't think of any because they've, they've created a new body for him. And as we know, the, the, the android they created was more synthetic, like human-like than positronic, than yeah. mechanical. And they downloaded his consciousness into a computer, which if we know from season two of TNG, that's something they've been able to do for quite a while. <laughs> we we yep. just ignore that. We don't do that for just anyone. <laughs> yeah. And then they loaded him into the new body, which is pretty much exactly what they did to Spock. He grew a new body and they they put his consciousness into the new one. So 
why does that hit different? And I'm not, I'm not arguing the point. I, I think it does hit a little different. I don't know exactly why, but what do you, what are your thoughts on that? I do know. It's because he's the center of attention Ah. and Spock wasn't right. The thing is, is this was a discovery on, on Picard where he learns that, that, you know, what is Picard, but, but the eternal sacrifice, right? The, the, the loneliness of leadership at the top. And here he is in front of an armada, right. Of, of Romulan, um, warships and, he, he says, you know, I will give my life for this, for this small group of synthetics, right? These, they're not even technically biological life. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think it, it gives sort of an extent to which Picard is willing to go. And, and I think it really matches his principles in a lot of ways. And I do feel like it kind of comes off as a bit of a free lunch, mainly because I wonder to some degree if there might've been some doubt in season one, like, I don't know. Killing him and bringing him back so quickly again hits just like Kirk did for me in Into Mm. Darkness, right? If the next season was Picard being reconstructed as we learn about Raffi and, you know, uh, I mean, really, Raffi's my favorite character in Picard, so I really just want to know more about her, but... You know, in that respect, learn more about the other characters and and they could almost drive the next season and then we could have had the third season. I'm quarterbacking right now. I'm armchair quarterbacking um, a very difficult thing, which is writing and producing and putting together a TV show. So don't think that I'm being like some Mr. Smarty Pants who knows all the answers here. This is just (laughs) sort of like a thought by way of like centering him in it. I do kind of take feel like it takes away the believability a bit. That's interesting. I like that perspective. I I think that makes sense. Like going back to your previous point about search for Spock, if that had been like, if that movie was from Spock's perspective as he's inside McCoy's brain or something, it would be a mess. Yeah. (laughs) I almost wonder if a version of that script exists somewhere because I feel like that's the starting point. And they're like, no, 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 wait, this is not working. It was probably written by George Lucas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And also your point is very well taken that it was, you know, he died. There's a, not a commercial break per se, because streaming world, but there's, yeah. there's an act break and then we come back and like, whoop, we've put him in this body. Okay, cool. All tension gets lost. Mm-hmm. Um, in that respect, I will say though, the return, uh, I mean, I'm just, I, and I'm wildly shifting to a completely different series, but still in the newer Trek era is, um, Hugh Culber's return mm-hmm. made me cry. Yeah. I was so happy to see him back. Um, I think, I think again, we're, we're dealing with serious talent that, you know, they wanted to make a dark gritty kind of games and throw games, game of Thrones in space style TV show originally. So killing off characters was just kind of vogue at the time. Um, but that was an extremely bad choice that I'm glad they turned around. Yeah. Oddly enough, that one to me, and, and I absolutely agree, like bringing him back 100% absolutely should never have killed him in the first place. I think. Mm-hmm. That one was really undercut for me by real world events where like the day after the episode where he's originally killed aired, all the writers and stuff were basically like, don't worry, we're bringing him back. Right. And I'm like, I remember that now. Yeah. And and I was like, okay, that's cool. I mean, I'm happy to hear that news, but now we're waiting for it. And then it happens kind of partway into the next season or something. And I was just like, 
that was a really weird choice. Like how I, I understand maybe not wanting the bad press of the trope and, and living under that pall for a while and then having the surprise. But it seemed really weird to me that, that it was like, don't worry, we're bringing him back. He's, he's in next season. Don't worry. And okay, well that just kind of undercut all the drama. I don't know. Well, it, it 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 harkens to i think the relationship that was starting to become a thing a really like meaningful thing between the fans and the writers i really mm. do feel like star trek discovery especially was necessary to go through the 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 things it went through because it it helped by the writers and the producers watching the fans' reactions, they were able to gauge what they were going to do next. And I think that was one of their first pieces of like, oh, we screwed up and we need to say something now because we might lose viewers over this is what yeah. I was thinking is it was like a political choice where they're like, oh, no, oh, no, no, this was a really bad idea. We need to turn this around. And I'm glad they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they wrote it well. And I think, um, yeah, they, they did a lot of good with it. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the the actual resurrection itself was well done. It was set up nicely. I mean, I, I don't feel like it was forced. It, it made sense in the kind of crazy sci-fi way that all Star Trek resurre- re- resurrections make sense, of course. That crazy mycelial network, right? Yeah, 100%. I'm going to do a little plug here for a novel, a little kind of companion piece to the whole Hugh Culber story, The Death and Resurrection, uh, Dead Endless by Dave Gallanter, the sadly uh, late Dave Gallanter, uh, who recently passed away. Uh, I think it's his last published Star Trek novel. Terrific, terrific novel all about kind of Hugh Culber and, and... that whole situation. I don't want to say much more and give away the whole plot, but it's, it's a really, really great novel. Sweet. That's, that would be a good read. So, um, shifting to, you know, less heartfelt. And I know we've just jumped over two very, very important, uh, entire series. I just want to quickly say, I love how quickly Shax just blows off the fact that he had died in the previous <laughs> season. He's like, yeah, it happens all the time. But then he like has those like weird flashbacks and it like becomes kind of a recurring joke. I, I, I appreciated that. That that, yeah. that self-awareness really, really, really rocked. Yeah. Yeah. Lieutenant Shax, he, and, and the whole explanation of how, and, and they, they hang a lantern on it, right? They say like, oh, all the, all the senior officers, uh, come back from the dead all the time. That happens all the time. You have to fight the something on the black mountain and it kind of fades into the background yeah. and you don't know what he's saying. And you just see Rutherford's face get like, <gasps> as he's learning these deep mystical truths about coming back from the dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that. You know, how many uh, times has, has, I don't know, data fought himself on the black mo- mountain, I guess, because Yeah. He comes back multiple times. (laughs) He he, he probably has like a, like a stamp card at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. Also lower decks. I, there's also the types of resurrections where it's the death fake out and they never actually died, but the audience thinks they did and they bring them back. (laughs) Boimler's transporter clone, William Boimler who apparently died in his quarters as far as everyone's concerned. But of course, at the end of the episode, he awakens in some defiant class ship and is handed a section 31 badge. (laughs) Yes. I appreciated that a lot. 
That was great. No. So that's, that's another class of Star Trek resurrection, I guess, where you think they're dead, but they're not actually dead. So that was a good one. So many. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> For um, them to say like, oh yeah, Star Trek does this all the time. I'm like, wow. They really do. They really do. Uh, data, multiple deaths and resurrections. Um, season one of Star Trek Picard, season three of Star Trek Picard. I feel like, and I could be totally wrong. This one feels more like the actor not really wanting to play the character anymore. And it doesn't, I could be wrong about this again. It feels to me not so much that he wants to keep coming back, but that like fandom keeps wanting to, him to come back. The writers keep wanting to come him to come back and they just keep sweetening the deal until he does. <laughs> I mean, Brent Spiner is a very good actor. And, yes. and like, I mean, in terms of like technical ability, he is a very, like his ability, like he could have like become, like he could have gone the way of Jim Carrey, I think in a lot of the ways, the way he's able to like comport his face and change personality very quickly. Um, he's capable of very sharp and, and stiff movement that, that would seem erratic, but are actually the result of very good like control. Um, so, I mean, in that respect, I think Brent Spiner has done a lot. I don't know. Maybe to some degree, I don't know. I, I've always found his his uh, appearance at cons to be somewhat aloof, but that just might be his character. Um, I don't think he dislikes or resents the fans or anything like that. But uh, I could see that much makeup getting a little long in the tooth. But uh, Michael Dorn, I think, takes the cake there for uh, yeah complicated makeup process. Absolutely. Careful, I take long strides. <laughs> As he said, walking out in the LeVar Burton reading rainbow behind the scenes Star Trek episode. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. I, I watched that just the other day when he gets out of his trailer. Careful. I or I forget now exactly what he says, but it's amazing. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Data, data to me in a lot of ways, because he is artificial intelligence, can sort of live and die as much as you want him to, I guess he can sort of be that and be explained out a little bit more easily and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. But I think also being human is part of being human is to die. Right. And, and get him getting three shots at it um, is impressive. I think in yeah. a lot of ways, I think also understanding too. And I think what they do finally with data, which I really appreciate is he is now sort of the sum of several parts in a, Picard like Gollum, which mm -hmm. I think really tied things up nicely and kind of puts him and Picard on an interesting even keel because they always sort of played off to me a little bit like father and son, whereas LaForge and Data were always kind of like siblings to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I appreciated what they did with Data in the end. I, th I think that was a really fitting way to bring him back and a fitting form to have him back as. I, I will always remember his death in Nemesis just feeling so like uh, such a waste to me Yeah, because, you know, him being the character who should be immortal or should at least outlive everyone around him. It just seemed like, oh, let's snuff him out here. I, I, yeah. I, it just always left a bad taste in my mouth. So, um, the way they brought him back, I, I really appreciated for sure. Yeah. Honestly, I think first contact when he says to the queen resistance is futile and then he breaks that chamber of green stuff um, that melts away flesh, but not synthetic material. Um, had they have killed him in that, 
that mm. scene, that would have actually landed well. I mean, I'm glad they didn't kill him, but um, I think that actually had a lot more, like, uh, to use a fancy word, gravita, um, than than what happened in Nemesis, for sure. Yeah. Aside from getting Jesse into Star Trek, I don't really have a lot of love for Nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of right there with you. Yeah. There's it's, it's one of those ones where there's, like, a couple things that I like in it, but... The space battle's whole. good. Yeah. I enjoy the space battle. Yeah, for sure. Well, I was going through Deep Space Nine, and yeah. there's not a lot of death and resurrection in Deep Space Nine that I could think of beyond Just death. <laughs> yes, so beyond death. you know the the usual trill like like being resurrected as a new person, a new host. Like there's some interesting themes to explore there with Dax, um, but as far as like completely dying and completely coming back. Um, the be- closest I could think was Miles O'Brien in the season three episode Visionary. Because he's O'Brien, we've done everything else to him, so why not kill him too? He must suffer. <laughs> um, but then again, everyone dies in that episode because the station explodes and there's timey-wimey stuff. So Yeah, no, that makes Technicality. sense. Technicality. <laughs> I guess like, again, um, that was kind of a good sort of bottle episode again where you're right. It's kind of all contained inside of itself. Not terribly memorable for me in a lot of ways, mainly because I think the death and life trope do sort of happen a lot. And, and so I don't really have a lot of like too much memory of that, mainly because it happens outside of the Dominion arc. And mm-hmm. I'm not very familiar with pre-Dominion stuff other than when um, Kaiopaka was around. I really mm-hmm. loved her, her stuff Yeah, way at the beginning. Yeah, I guess not too much to say on that one other than it's it's a death undone by timey-wimey stuff. I guess one kind of interesting thing about it is the O'Brien we've been following the whole time actually dies. And it's a future version of himself that like takes the device from him and goes back to warn them. So it's technically a, an O'Brien that has like a couple hours more memories than <laughs> our O'Brien. Which uh, actually links to the next one. Harry Kim. (laughs) Which I think is a really interesting case. I really... Dark. This is a a great episode of Voyager. Deadlock. It is. uh, In, uh, I want to say season two. I think it's season two. Yes, because it's one I've seen. Yeah, there's this weird anomaly that kind of like duplicates the ship. They, They both sit in the same space but there's two of them and our Harry Kim that we've been following this whole time dies he actually dies and never comes back he goes flying off into space he gone and then the Harry Kim from the duplicate Voyager as well as actually the uh the uh Naomi Wildman as a newborn infant she actually does the same thing happens to her um, they bring them over from the duplicate Voyager to our Voyager and then the duplicate Voyager explodes. So Harry Kim and I guess Naomi Wildman are not the originals f- from that point on, which I'm trying to like roll into, is that a reason he never got promoted? Because he's not originally on the crew manifest. <laughs> Well, that's a good point. It, I mean, I think it gets sort of explored later, and and it, this is a later piece. Uh, that episode of Rick and Morty you might have seen, where where Morty has to bury a a dead version of himself yes. from another reality, and that dead version of himself that he's like taken over the life of is like buried in the backyard. Um, <laughs> it's super dark, um, but it's a similar sort of feel that again, like 
Voyager like skips over some super heavy stuff without a lot of like meaningful consideration. Like, I mean, I always go back to Tuvix. That mm. was a murder. Yes. <laughs> Full absolutely. on straight up murder. Um, <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't say what, you know, Tuvok and Neelix, but like, honestly, wow. So yeah, for, for that to be happening in the Voyager universe is not surprising to me. And um, yeah, that's a different Harry Kim from here on in. 100%. Season two to seven. <laughs> There you go. Um, <laughs> Who's the real Harry Kim then? He's yeah. he's floating out in space there somewhere. They left a Harry Kim body floating in space. That's terrifying to think of. Um, the last one I wanted to talk about uh, of the people is the fact that I was so incredibly sad when Trip Tucker died. In yes. Enterprise. I, f- I thought his death was heroic. Um, very reminiscent of Gain Needs of the Many, blah, blah, blah. Um, but damn... I really love Trip. He was mm-hmm. such a cool character. That's all I have to say about that. It's just, and yeah. they say that he gets brought back non-canon. I don't know about this. Okay, so with regards to Trip Tucker, I dislike intensely the final episode of Enterprise for a number of reasons. Yes, but added to that is this decision to kill Trip Tucker, albeit heroically, but it just. You know, as a little, you know, button on the series. Like, really? That's how you want to leave us? Kill off every, maybe not everyone's favorite character, but certainly one of my very favorite characters. Everyone's favorite character. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was very frustrating. I really genuinely dislike that episode. Please go read the Star Trek Enterprise novel, The Good That Men Do. It undoes it all. And... Not entirely satisfyingly, um, he he has to stay dead as far as the galaxy is concerned, but he's he's un he's undeaded, so <laughs> that makes me very happy. Well, that is good. I'm glad to hear about that, and maybe I'll even pick up that book one day. So, one final quick character mention I want to make is. One of those deaths that takes place in an episode and is undone in that same episode, but they do something really cool with it, I think. And that is the Voyager episode, Mortal Coil, which in which Neelix dies and is dead for a a good amount of time and is revived by Seven of Nine's nanoprobes. And what I love about that is it's not just a, a, you know, he's dead act break. Oh, he's alive and everything's hunky dory again. He actually goes through an incredible crisis of faith, um, believing that when he died, he would see his ancestors and his family in the great forest and, and the, the Talaxian belief in an afterlife. And when he dies, he doesn't see those things and it sends him into a depression to the point where he actually is poised to end his life once and for all. And there's an incredible scene in the transporter room where basically Chakotay is talking him off the ledge and, and imploring him to return to his life and to the people who love him. And, uh, it's just an incredible Star Trek episode that didn't hit me the way it should have when I first watched it. But years later, when I watched it as an adult, it just really, really hit me and, and affected me. 
Uh, so for those of you out there listening, if you haven't checked that one out in a while or don't know the one I'm talking about, Voyager, Mortal Coil, I want to say season four, um, definitely worth another look, but of course the appropriate trigger warnings as well for, uh, self-harm and, and, uh, topics of that nature, but it, it really, it really moved me. Um, so doing something a little different with that theme rather than just being a fake out, actually using it plot wise and making it meaningful. Well, Star Trek does a good job of that in a lot of cases and a lot of places. And I feel like they, you hear, I've just talked about, you know, how cavalier they are with Harry Kim's life. Um, they treat this episode well. And I've realized you and I talked about this a lot kind of before we recorded. And so just to kind of reiterate some of the pieces here, you know, you know, people, people do go through crises after coming close to passing away in some cases. And I think it is important, um, especially for us to know that, um, you know, when people get close to death in any way, shape or form, even if it's, you know, through someone else's loss, um, being there for them and, and maybe you're those words that, that can turn them around. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think Chakotay, what he has to say, how he, you know, explains a little more of the nuance around death and, and that, you know, some, somewhere along the line, you know, maybe, maybe this just wasn't your time and, and that's why, right. Mm-hmm. Um, your ancestors are going to come see you if it's not your time. Understanding that that you know it is it is the voyage that we all must go on one day, but don't 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 hasten the process. It, it will it will come. Don't worry. Um, make sure also that you're you're ensuring that other people have that support they need. So I think that's good. It's it's an interesting and and heartfelt episode in a lot of ways. That um, yeah, I don't know if I want to rewatch it too often because it is <laughs> yeah. pretty heavy. It's very very heavy. Absolutely. So the last piece here is the funny part is, is I zigged when uh, Dan zagged and he said, let's do an episode on resurrections of Star Trek. And I was like, perfect. I'm going to talk about Star Trek phase two, the motion picture, <laughs> TNG, maybe Enterprise. Is that kind of a reboot? 2009 and then Discovery. I do find it interesting that, you know, um, as above, so below in some cases that the franchise itself has died and come back from the dead on a number of occasions and in a number of different iterations, right? Mm-hmm. When when Star Trek Phase 2 was sort of poised to be a thing in like the mid-70s, um, <clears throat> a lot of what they put together would eventually get folded into its actual reboot and reimagining with the motion picture, right? Even when you look at the designs of the Enterprise in Phase 2, it is that sort of in-between the, the full refit and the original en- Enterprise, and I've always really appreciated that. Looking at how then the next generation generation brings Star Trek back to the television screen. Again, we have a reimagining and, um, you know, people who are happy and not happy with how that reimagining landed in the first two seasons. Um, and, you know, some choices were made, characters were killed, brought back, and those normal things. I also think it's neat that when they try to reintroduce um you know, Enterprise, this is after Voyager, much like Phase 2, was put into sort of be the front runner of a brand new television network, right? UPN, uh, United Paramount Network or something like that, mm-hmm. was originally what um, Voyager was put on. And a similar thing in the 1970s was what Phase 2 was supposed to be sort of the flagship, pun intended, um, uh, TV show. So when Enterprise comes, funny how they don't use Star Trek Enterprise until the later seasons, um, almost as a way to be like, oh, tricked you, now it's Star Trek, right? You like it now, um, kind <laughs> of kind of feel. And I think it did have a lot to do with the amount of weight 
uh, and gravity that TNG had, right? We, we can definitely see um, DS9 and Voyager not as reboots or as resurrections, but merely spinoffs, I would say more. Mm-hmm. Um, and much like Frasier um, to Cheers, DS9 is may very much in its own right a fantastic uh, TV show, um, independent of its very good um, original subject matter. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's definitely an interest. It's interesting to see the parallels between what happened in the past and what. Oh, well, I mean, they're both in the past now, significantly no, yeah. more than I think I realize. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's interesting, and I love that idea of you know resurrection. You know, the resurrection of the the very show we're talking about, um, almost from the complete dead. Like uh, there's been a few times where people have said Star Trek is dead and it's never coming back. And Mm -hmm. there's always been somebody at work to bring it back. And it eventually happens. Um, the biggest one, I think probably being the next one that you're going to get to here, which is the, that, that huge fallow period after the end of enterprise. Well, and I think that's where a lot of us were starting to wonder if maybe this was it. Um, and Stargate or Stargate, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, and, and speaking of shows that are due for uh, an interesting renewal might be something like Stargate, but, um, you know, Star Trek seemed like it was kind of disappearing. And I think that's what the JJ verse was good for was breathing that new life into Star Trek, building it up again, getting the hype so that something like discovery could be even approached. Absolutely. That's a definitely huge one, of course, with the JJ films and then 2017 coming back to, to television finally mm-hmm. again uh, with Discovery and then Picard and all the rest that we have going on now. Uh, definitely a resurrection and interesting that it's in those shows that that to- theme of resurrection seems to be coming up a lot. I'm wondering if there's something subconsciously playing at the minds of the writers and producers. Uh, the Enterprise D herself is resurrected yeah. in Star Trek Picard. I mean, and that's the Enterprise D is a character just like any mm-hmm. other on the show. Right. So mm-hmm. interesting. There's, there's, there's kind of some, uh, what's the word? Um, poetry. Poetry. It rhymes, as George Lucas would say. <laughs> <laughs> I like all our little, like, cheap shots at Star Wars. I love Star Wars. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Bruce, too. if you're listening, love you, bro. Um, but yeah, no, it, it is It is very poetic that, that we see these things sort of interlapping with each other. And I think it's something that we need to understand, too. You know, the, the person who watched Deep Space Nine in junior high was me, but he's not me. That me is gone. And he's mm-hmm. gone forever, right? I can never go back to him. I can't resurrect that kid. No, no one wants to meet him. 14-year-old me is not a pleasant human being. Um, <laughs> but in that respect, I think understanding that change is the thing. And we as Star Trek fans aren't looking for rehashing of the same thing. We want to see new. We want to see new directions. We want to see new voyages, new ships, new characters, new relationships. Because Star Trek is that versatile. It's a universe of, of things. And now that we've sort of seen our favorite characters from our generation off, it's time to get some new ones. And we have some ready-made and ready to go. And so I'm hopeful for that reinvention. I'm hopeful they bring back Shaw, however they do it. Like, it doesn't matter to me. They'll make it interesting and fun and it'll be great because I think, again, we saw a character we like. Well, let's have him back. We've brought him all the rest back. Why not Shaw? Yeah, totally. I would be satisfied with a Q did it. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Snaps him back into existence again. There you go. 
Well, on that note, this, this was a wonderful conversation. I think, uh, the places we went uh, were completely unexpected and I had so much fun talking about this. I think there's more conversations to be had with this. I'm sure there'll be many more resurrections in Star Trek in years to come because it's science fiction folks. They're law, they're Star Trek dead. They're not law and order dead. Right. So exactly. I love that (laughs) saying. That's amazing. So good. (laughs) Well, uh, Barry, I, I noticed uh, you have been, as you mentioned, popping up on social media again uh, a little bit. Where can people find you if you so want them to? <laughs> Honestly, uh, dear Positively Trek listeners, other than family members who I keep up with on Messenger and maybe the odd probably fellow Star Trek fan that I, you know, want to send kind words of encouragement to or something. Um, you will be the only place, the, 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 the positively Trek Facebook discussion page is really the only place you're going to see me doing any kind of meaningful social media interaction. I love the positivity. I love the people there. Um, I go on that part of the, of the, you know, social media world and I shut off when I'm done and I still feel good about myself because people are talking about positive and good things. So I realized that my time away from social media needs to be honored for the fact that I was getting away from toxicity and there's absolutely nothing toxic about the positively tech discussion group, all a bunch of class acts. Let's uh, keep it, keep it positive and keep it classy because that's the only place I want to be. Awesome. And I mean, what a great selling point for the Positively Trek discussion group. Exclusive access to Barry DeFord. Awesome. Well, we, we could have looked at the other way of like, there's just a lot of really nice people there and I think you'll like it. Uh, but yes, 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 I am. I think both I, are completely valid. <laughs> there we go. Well, if you want to reach out to the podcast, PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And of course, like we said, the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook, best place to interact with us and tell us your thoughts. Uh, who are your favorite Star Trek resurrections? What are your least favorite? And which ones did we miss? Because I'm sure we did. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, almost certainly. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in the next episode. And until then, as always, stay positive and stay alive. Yes. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.